Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Well, hey guys, welcome to We Got Balls, and we're here for another exciting episode. In fact, it's going to be a very practical episode today. We're going to be talking about sexting. And uh, Scott, I didn't grow up in an era where I didn't even have a cell phone, so sexting is kind of a newer thing for me. Uh, I didn't really do that when I was dating growing up, and so uh, it's the advent of technology has changed the way we relate and the way we interact and what's been your what's what's your experience been with sexting personally or professionally no, just in general come on now the first minute of the episode we try to keep it light you know yeah. we don't, we're not going for the deep dives I thought, wow he's really good okay um <laughs> you, you know it, from a professional standpoint this is something that a lot of the guys that i coach um have actually struggled with this and yeah. um we can get into my personal relationship with this a little bit later in this, but it's something that um, I guess I was surprised. I, I would think this is based on the research that I had seen, you know, in the past, this was something I thought like maybe teenagers sure. uh, were a lot involved in more than older guys, but it's not, it's um, mm. it's pretty much everybody now. So in fact, the statistics are, and and this is some really great research that I found from 2000 to 2023. So this is looking at longitudinal trends over a 23 period. The number of people that have sent sex, these are adults, okay. uh, 19 plus. Um, the senders started out at 2.7% in 2000. And today in 2023, it's 76.9%. Holy crap. 76. Can you believe that? Wow. That is a huge, huge jump. I didn't do the math on the, the percentage increase, but it's, you know, an enormous. Oh, that's, uh, that would be 34X. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Uh, the number yeah. of people that have received sex has gone from 10.3% in 2000 to 87.9%. Wow. wow. And then shared, which is, now this is interesting because when you get into the details about sexting, the average sexed photograph, whether it's a dick picture or a naked person picture or whatever, is shared by an average of three people. You know, you're sharing it with three people on average. So yeah. it's never just going to the person you intended to go to. So that's gone from 5.6% to it's been kind of flat over the last numerous years from 2018 to 2023, but it's still one out of every five pictures gets shared on average with three other people. So it's 18.2% sharing. So that's, it's just a phenomenal when you, when you think about when did iPhones first become available? I don't, I didn't look this up, but I think it was around 2001 is when the 2007. iPhone came. 2007. Okay. Yeah. So did we have picture-capable phones before? We did. We okay. did. Yeah. 
So they were just very, very grainy. It, it would not have been up to our standards today to send. But, you know, I guess they're better than the pixelated pictures we used to see on scrambled uh, pay porn TV back in the day. So, you know, yeah, it's still a picture. Yeah. So, you know, mostly a lot of this increase is tied with the advent of getting smartphones with really good cameras in them. And mm. then people start getting curious about this. Um, and so you can see this explosion particularly, um, here was the really interesting thing. It really took off as it reached kind of a, an all time peak for the first 20 years in 2018. So about 50% of the population was sending by 2018. So I think that's talking about, you know, the, the prevalence of the, the smartphone and cameras on phones and people just getting acclimated to taking pictures of their body parts but I think also you have to look at kind of the cultural dynamics. What happened in 2018? There's a gigantic crash in the economy. And lots of people are losing their jobs. Now, and hold on. Are we saying 2008 or 2018? 2018. Eight was the crash. 2008? Forget what yeah. I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I was thinking something differently. So I'm thinking Instagram comes online 2012, 13, 14. I forget somewhere in the early 2000s. And and there's this documentation pictorially of our lives that kind of takes off. I mean, there was a little bit of that on Twitter back in the day. People take pictures of their food and whatever. But that they're, you know, uh taking making uh, pictures to document my life really just kind of took off in the in in the mid 20 teens, 2000 teens. And so I think it's interesting that that is kind of the uh, the acceleration of this idea, and and also, and I'll go in another realm. We're really looking for external val validation through technology. People are becoming more and more emotionally and relationally disconnected, and so uh, the hookup culture is. I mean, it was it existed. Here's a great question. When was when did Tinder come online? I want to say it was about the same time, mid 2010s. So Snapchat started in 2011. Um, when okay. did Tinder? Let me look that up. That's a that's a really good question. 2012. So you have two major platforms coming around the same time, both yep. you know tied in with sharing photographs and connecting over photographs. So yeah, and, and Snapchat was originally a sexting app. In the very beginning, that's what, what it was designed for. Purely, right, because everything disappears yeah. after 15 seconds. Yeah. So so the the research that's been done on this is actually pretty extensive. There's been a lot of peer-reviewed um, meta-research that's done on, you know, lots of experiments, lots of research projects done together. But in particular, it's it's been done on both teenagers and adults. So there's really two forms of sexting in terms of categories that we can think about. There's what you would call experimental. That's where it's typically consensual. It's exploratory. Mm -hmm. You're sending pictures back and forth. It may be with a partner and maybe, you know, you're, you're using it as part of kind of your, um, seduction ritual. You're trying to, seduction trying to hook up with somebody. Yeah. Connection or, or having fun with each yeah. other. And then there's what's, been classified in the by the researchers as more aggravated. It can be more exploitive and harassing. There's really a higher risk associated with this because it's taking place um, it, basically in conjunction with substance use. 
So alcohol and uh, drugs are involved most of the time in conjunction with this kind of behavior when it's when it's aggravated. It lowers inhibitions, increases impulsivity, obviously, with the use of those substances. And it oftentimes involves strangers, which increases the possibility of online abuse. So something that goes so, with this. Is so we'll come back to the first category because that's pretty straight up mainstream sexting. Tell, tell me, give me some more context around what you're talking about with the second category. So this can involve, you know, you're you're on a um, you're on an app and you hook up with somebody and they ask you for a photo and you exchange it back and forth. And what's what's been going on with this is you're you're sharing with strangers, so you don't actually know the person that you're sharing with because you just yeah. met them online. What comes out of that can be revenge porn, where people take your photo and, and that's post what it I was up. thinking. Yeah. The other thing that happens is sextortion, where basically, and this, we, we've talked about, you and I have talked about this. I don't know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but there are numerous cases, particularly where teens, but I know guys that have had this done to them, you know, as adults, where they send somebody a picture and that person receiving the picture turns around and goes, hey, pay me $800 or I'm going to out you to your family. Mm. And so... It's used as a vehicle to extort money, which is why it's called sextortion. And this is really a malicious aspect of of this that people don't consider while they're doing this because, um, and, and I'll get into this in a minute, the third category is emotional regulation. So the researchers have actually determined that people get involved in sexting to regulate their emotions. So this has got to be where dick pics come from. This got to be it. Please tell me this is what this is, right? So here's the category they talked about. They use uh, sending pictures of themselves to regulate emotions in younger people in particular. This is none where um, it's solving emotional problems. It's dealing with negative emotions such as anger, loneliness, shame, and seeking validation or attention. And you really now can predict whether somebody, a younger person is, more at risk for sexting by looking at their emotional kind of life if they struggle with emotional dysregulation, which is, by the way, a feature of trauma. And so this is one way in which people that have a, a, an experience of childhood developmental complex trauma can really be susceptible to this kind of getting hooked by this activity because it's used as a way to feel better about myself or to regulate my emotions when I'm feeling bad about myself. So I think it's really significant to talk about that third category, especially simply because you've got a whole bunch of different dynamics going on. You've got the emotional dysregulation or negative emotions that are, that are coming up, but then also in to deal with that, you're creating a picture or you're, you're disrobing, you're getting naked and you're taking a picture of yourself, which is shameful. There can't be anything but shameful, even though you may not recognize it in the moment. So stacking on the emotional um, dysregulation, and then you send it, then you share it, then you then you risk being made vulnerable or being exposed or being shamed again by sending this to someone who may or may not want to receive this. You're just, you know, I can see this going both from females and males, but this is a guy's podcast, so... You know, if you have a crush on a girl and you think, hey, this this girl would really love me if she saw my dick and then you take a dick pic and you send it to her, 
And obviously every woman loves sarcastic, big sarcastic comment, loves a dick pic, right? Right. They just love them. Yeah. They, they think they're great. They do not um, like unsolicited pictures. Oh, um, of, of, yeah. Of any kind, especially of a male sex organ where you're like, well, hello, thanks for sending me that. But then this creates, I would even go from negative emotions to just an emotional shitstorm of shame and, and compulsivity. And I mean, that's, that's an addictive process in full bloom, right? Yeah. And so interestingly enough, males do this at a much larger rate in various categories of behavior than females do. Males send more dick pictures of their naked body to females than females do to males. Um, they receive more, they engage in some of the other behaviors around this. So, you know, you have to think about, is this, how is this being used to kind of reinforce body image in particular? Um, teenage, the, the teenage years are the years in which we're most susceptible to signals of shame, but mm -hmm. also when we most need peer validation. And so yeah. if this behavior starts as a teenager and you're putting yourself out there to be seen, you're really looking for validation. You're looking mm -hmm. to normalize your body. Because again, we've talked about this in the pornography oriented episodes, if you're growing up in an environment where you didn't have a lot of interaction with your dad and you know, so there wasn't a lot of kind of that mutual male nudity with your father as you were a little boy right. growing up, you're not showering with kids anymore that are your own age as you go into puberty because they've taken showers out of public schools where kids don't do it anymore. So the only exposure you ever have to male nudity is in pornography. And yet when you go into puberty, your biggest concern is, am I normal? Do I look like everybody else? Yeah. So how do you seek to normalize what it is that your body looks like and your experience of, you know, developing as a, a, a boy into a man? This is a vehicle to do that. And that's how it's being used. So, uh, you know, that's coming on the heels of a lot of uh, deprivation or neglect in a person's life. They just don't have access to any way of knowing that I'm normal. And now because we have all these social ways to connect online, this becomes a, a really easy avenue to reach out and try to find out, do I look normal? Do you think I look attractive? Is this good looking to you? Um, well, I think it's important to let's 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 put a some definition around this idea of social connection. Uh, a long time ago, uh, a therapist named KK Ray back before I was even in recovery taught me this at a, at a seminar that I went to that I think is really important is that human beings connect in four ways, socially, uh, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Uh, so on the surface level, we have this idea of social. So it's these things like, well, I get to know people. I, they know who I am. We talk, we're friends. We do this. I think social media is accurately <laughs> named on some levels, but in many ways it's not social at all because social is this. I mean, even though we're not in the same physical area, we're talking to one another. We're seeing each other's faces, seeing facial expressions. We can, we can have an interaction as two social beings and, and build something on that. Uh, emotional obviously is getting a little deeper. What do you feel? You know, 
uh, are you okay? You know, being affectionate and, and some, some levels appropriately. So spiritual is more like the deep, who am I, my identity. And then physical is of course the culmination of that through physical actions. That's kind of the way human beings are designed to progress in their exposure and interaction with other people. But what we've, what, what's happened, especially in things like sexting and hookup apps is we've put the physical first. My body is now my billboard. If I put my body out there and I, and I portray that, and, and you can say that on Tinder and other, you're looking at pictures of someone and totally judging what they look like and what they do based upon a picture of someone. And so then you show up, whether it's a same sex hookup situation or opposite sex hookup situation, and you have a sexual interaction and I had a friend of mine who was deep into um, the lifestyle culture, and he said, listen, there's no difference for me to having sex with somebody than helping them move. I'm just doing a favor. And so that's this idea, I think, and if people who've struggled with porn their whole life, if they don't see the, the reality of when you turn on a screen or open up a phone and you're looking at someone's body, that's exactly what you're doing. You're swapping all those other ways that you're supposed to connect for a physical interaction, a, a consumptive interaction. So here, when we're talking about social connection, let's call it for what it is. It's not social. It's not emotional. It's not spiritual. It's purely flesh on flesh, lustful eyes on lustful eyes, looking to try to fix a problem that I don't even recognize by putting myself out there and moving into a place of, and from a place of shame. Well, so... Absolutely true, but I'm going to quote Kurt Thompson, you know, the, the Christian psychiatrist that he would like to quote here. Is he says, we tend to not believe truth when we hear it. We tend to believe it when we feel it in our body. In an Nothing way. is true for me until it's true for me in my body. Exactly so, what he said. Yeah. In a hyper-connected, you know, kind of online environment where now I have exposure to more people than I've ever had in an embodied way in my life, and I have exposure to people naked that I have more access to. So I have an infinite variety of nude men or women to compare myself to or to connect with in that sense. You can see then why this kind of bypasses the way we would normally build connection, understanding of masculinity, how we kind of develop to this really easy, quick and intense way of affirming my body and affirming my masculinity if I'm a man. Because all okay. I need is to stick it out there and have somebody go, wow, that's an amazing dick or man, you're really manly or whatever. Right. So that is it. It's the shortcut through or around, we should say the, the imagined shortcut, because it's not a shortcut, the imagined shortcut around connection, relationship, intimacy, masculinity. Yeah. And it's not yeah. hard to see how, you know, this, Sexting really then can play a role, we think, in increasing our self-esteem and self-confidence in an embodied way, both as a man and in terms of what our body is like. How important is that to your identity? <laughs> yeah. So you're saying if you just if someone affirms you in your in your physical body, you send someone a naked picture of yourself and you get positive affirmation. What is that? I mean, let's get real. What is that really doing for you? Well, it's tapping into a deep, 
deep longing to want to be seen, first of all. Okay. And, and so it's based upon just a picture or a series of pictures or words. I mean, I know sexting can also be uh, language as well as pictures. And more more on the hetero side of things, I'll be frank, because there's and uh, what what little I've engaged in has been on that side of talking about scenarios and situations with with vocabulary. But even when I get that affirmation from that person, Scott, the, the reality is it's not real. It's not true connection, is it? I mean, or am I just fooling myself? Well, it feels like it is, Chris. It feels that's that's why my point is it does something in your body temporarily. Now, does it last? I don't think it lasts. Because if it lasted, you wouldn't need to go back and repeat this. But you'll find yeah. out that people that get involved in sexting, it's hard, it's a hard habit to break. It's more addictive, I think, than even using pornography. And the reason why is because I think it locks into our one of our primordial circuits in our brainstem is called the seeking circuit. We have seven primordial circuits. Seeking, play, lust, um, attachment is in there, fear, anger. But it taps into the seeking circuit because you're looking for that person that's looking for you. And, and then mm. when you find them and you send a picture, you get that immediate hit of dopamine because they're like, oh, wow. So you get the affirmation and it's highly addictive. So if you're if you're looking for someone looking for you, isn't that don't we use a different word for that than affirmation? What? <laughs> Attach attunement, man. Att attunement. attunement, attachment. Yes. Right. So it's that interpersonal dynamic where sexting is kind of like you say, it's a level up from just porn because it's not just a video or something static on the other line. I mean, I can pr press, press play, rewind, fast forward, whatever I want to. That video is that video. It is not going to change. I'll watch it one time or I'll watch it a million times. And I'm not really connecting with those people in that video, and they're not doing anything for me other than getting me sexually aroused. But it's and, – and, and the imagination is really what I bring to it. But the arousal is in the interpersonal. I think if, if we, you know, when we go back to our visual and psychological cues conversation, what we're looking for is a human being. We're not looking for parts. We're looking for expressions on the humanity of someone. That's right. When you go back to the psychological, every single one of those categories is about a relational dynamic that gets played out in a specific way. So I, I made a list because, you know, our, the, the, the position of our podcast is never to really vilify a behavior. No. It's to try to understand how is that serving you, even yeah. if it's self-destructive, so that you can do a better job of being curious about how do you get your legitimate needs met so you're not so susceptible to getting them met in this particular way. So I looked at both the research and just kind of off the top of my head – what good does sexting do for you? Because we know there's harm here. We know your potential. You can be sextorted. You could have your picture put out there and, you know, for the world to see. And it's happened for, for guys I know. Mm -hmm. But on a positive side, there's that sense of attachment, sense of belonging. There's affirmation that taps into body image issues. I mean, how many guys do you know that wonder, is my penis big enough? 
right? Yeah, most of us. Yeah, most most, of us. most guys. So there's the affirming of something that makes me a man that helps me normalize that or co- confirms what I hope to be true. There's that masculine identification. There's a reversal of harm and a repair of past harm. How many guys have been shamed? about their naked bodies. You're fat. You're mm-hmm. a fat. So you got a small dick. You're this, you're this, you're this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about feeling attractive, about feeling desirable. It's about even a false sense of connection. But on this, as you mentioned, on the flip side, I think you have to look at how's it served me. But I think the downside is it does tap into disgust, shame, feelings of being violated in my past, violating my values and how I've been used around my body, maybe in, in past experiences. Yeah, I, I would say this. The only place that sexting can re- could really be truly beneficial, um, and of course it can be used and bastardized on this, would be to enhance an existing sexual relationship that's healthy. Right. No, and if, you know, if, if you want to sex with your partner, and that's something that, you both are into and it it adds to the arousal dynamic of that is great. I think where it becomes unhealthy is as we trickle down the slippery slope of I'm going to start sexting with a potential partner, somebody I, I don't have a relationship with that can be shameful, or I'm going to start sexting with somebody because I don't know what I'm feeling. Blah, I vomit out this dick pic or, or this, you know, a very sexual text to somebody to be able to say, you know, can you just love this? And so as we slide, as we do in everything with this, the farther down, the the more chaotic we get, the more shame is brought up. And so wherever you are on this, on the spectrum, you know, sexting is, is a relatively new dynamic. Uh, I guess maybe it would have been like, you know, passing dirty notes back in the day would have been the closest thing we could have gotten to sexting or something. Draw, well, dirty or drawing pictures, pictures yeah. right yeah drawing here's, pictures. here's a penis <laughs> but it but it but it kind of loses its oomph because this is it's mine and it's real and it's now and i'm sending it to you right now yeah and and so it becomes very visceral and this is not the uh, let me just tell you on the research this is not teen behavior per se anymore the largest no. general the the biggest cohort that sends is involved in sexting is millennials 37% mm. of millennials have sent and received sex. So out of all mm. the other groups, Gen Z is 20%, Gen X, 19%, baby boomers, they're not involved. <laughs> but, well, you know, it's hard to get those big geriatric phones yeah. to send the pictures. Yeah, the, you uh, like. big text. Yeah, my penis looks too small. Well, it is. You're 80. So. <laughs> but so I thought that was really interesting. And then um, just that, that factor that it does get passed around and shared. But Again, as we talk about all the time on the podcast, if this is a if this is a behavior that you have struggled with and you feel is like really a, a really dominant force in your life, the place to start is to be curious about how is it serving you, like, mm. and 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 what stories then in your past kind of echo forward into the present moment of sexting that you're maybe reliving in a way. So I'll just be. Pretty, pretty vulnerable about this. This is an area where I struggled. This is an area where, you know, I struggled when uh, I had a relapse a couple of years ago. And uh, it's not a behavior that I'd ever done before. It came on the heels of the COVID lockdown. Mm. So I was cut off from all my in-person community 
uh, here in Houston. So I didn't have any ongoing relationships. I had a lot of stress going on in my personal life with one of my children. And um, I felt very alone. And so I had some mm. people that started soliciting me for pictures and I resisted for a while. And then I started caving and I got really hooked by the, the praise, the affirmation that I would get. And, and then in the fall, my wife found out about it and I was back in therapy and she was mad at me. And I was like, where is this coming from? Cause I'd never done this before. And sure enough, there's a story mm. and it's a really old story. And, you know, we were doing the, the training with Jay Stringer at the time. And so I confessed my, my relapse with this to all you guys. And it was after that, that I started being curious about where was this coming from? And it was, and I, and I've talked about this before on the podcast too, that my grandparents had taken a picture of me standing naked on the couch when I was a little boy and at every family reunion and holiday event, this picture was played in slideshows and everybody would laugh and guffaw and ah, about the naked baby and his penis. And I just remember thinking as a, as a mm. child, is, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Am I supposed to be embarrassed or am I supposed to be proud of this? And, you know, I grew up in that family system where male genitals were talked about a lot. And, and that picture was used in my family environment where we were really kind of frankly sexualized around that dimension of our lives. So it became a real force for me. Mm. Uh, you know, reversal of harm is what I saw in the, the relapse that I went through. So and almost took, taking back the power that you kind of lost in being exposed like that when you were younger, maybe? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's me expressing my autonomy about my body. Yeah. It's me getting more security about myself as a man at a mm. time when I'm feeling, frankly, I'm a father. I feel like a failure. Mm. I feel like a failure as another guy because I'm, I'm really having a hard time with what's going on in my life. I feel alone. Mm. And so that was what I chose to go seek a lot of affirmation. Um, the other thing that it tied into, and this is why these things work on multiple levels, and you have to allow yourself the curiosity to kind of decode these things, because I think there's a number of threads that go into that. I was bullied a lot growing up by other boys. Mm. But when I started showering in middle school and high school, this became an area, my body became an area of admiration to some of the other guys in my circles. And so I learned that I could actually conquer other guys this way when I felt I had been conquered by guys, you know, by being bullied and beat up a lot. So there was a dominant kind of power theme in this behavior as well for me. Um, so that's what I've seen about, and and by doing the work of really looking at it instead of you know, continuing to shame myself around the behavior, really realizing that every time I did this, I was expressing contempt for myself yeah. in a way, right? Because yeah, right. I don't have enough confidence in my own body that I have to get other people to praise me for it. So I think coming to terms with my own self-contempt in this and the shame around what I had experienced kind of ritualistically as a child around this area um, had to really confront that, which has helped me to kind of leave it.
Mm. So, but it was a powerful way to get affirmation for, for a while. Yeah. And so, again, our invitation is when you're really locked into something and feel kind of helpless against it, the way out of that is not to try harder, not to be beating up on yourself and hating yourself, but to start to be curious and ask questions about why is this so true? Not, not in an accusing tone. Why are you doing this? Mm. But more, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, how is it serving me? And that's what's really helped me to not keep going back to that particular well. Thank you, Scott, because that's powerful. I mean, you know, just the desire to be in control of your own autonomy. Yes, in control of your own autonomy and to be able to do the things that you want to do, as even though they have negative consequences, as you know, you found out in the dynamics with your marriage and and uh, other, other uh, interactions with, with other guys, but to be able to say, I'm going to do this for myself. And sometimes we have to wander around in that activity before we realize we there's a deeper truth that I'm trying to get to that I can get to in a more uh, constructive, less catastrophic way. So yeah. I appreciate you sharing that with us because that's that's the journey of healing. I mean, guess what, guys? Nobody gets it right. If you think you get it right, guess what? You're wrong. It's guaranteed. You're wrong. If you think it's you're right 100%, you're standing on the edge of the cliff about to drop over the edge. So um, go on the journey with us and let's see what what how we can bring compassion and curiosity and care to uh, our own stories and to uh, the things that we want and the things that we think are going to make us feel better so that we can begin to heal and get what we truly, truly need. We just don't know it, you know, just like those young kids who are acting out of their negative yeah. emotions. You got a shit ton of negative emotions buried in you, I, I bet. And how are you going to let those go and grieve them and give them away so that you can uh, live and dwell in the things that God has given you to live in with gratitude? So uh, we're grateful for the time with you, and uh, we'll be back again on our next episode. I think our next episode is going to be kind of touchy, Scott, so you might want to stick around for that one. You know, just just listen next week. You're going to be— it may rub you the right way. Oh, uh, the right <laughs> way. As we always do here on yes. Remote Balls. And you do too. Yeah. Take care, guys. Bye, guys. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.